This podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, who invite you to simply step outside this summer. With expert tips and advice, L.L. Bean can help you get more out of every moment outdoors. Here's a tip. Set yourself up for easy backyard adventures by leaving a tote bag with the essentials right by the door, sunscreen, bug spray, and a few hats or pairs of sunglasses. Now you'll never need to search your house to find them. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com slash guide. I'm Jason Epperson, and it's time for the latest in National Park news. So I'm jumping in here at the top to say that I was editing this episode when some big news from Yellowstone National Park dropped. Effective immediately, the entire park is closed due to substantial flooding, rock slides, and mudslides on roadways from recent unprecedented amounts of rainfall and flooding. No inbound visitor traffic will be allowed into the park until conditions stabilize and the park can assess damage to roads and bridges and other facilities. This includes visitors with any lodging or camping reservations. The power is out in multiple locations in the park. Several roads are completely washed out and this could go on for a long time. Rainfall is expected to continue for the next several days and flood levels on the Yellowstone River are beyond record highs. With lots of additional rainfall forecasted, the park doesn't want large numbers of visitors stranded within the park. The park won't likely remain entirely closed for long, but several roads sustain severe damage, so it's likely that there will be road and entrance closures for the entire season. Visitors planning on coming to Yellowstone in the upcoming weeks should pay close attention to the status of road conditions on the park's website. We begin this week with some interesting visitation numbers. Yellowstone National Park saw a big drop in vehicles entering its gates over Memorial Day weekend, down 34% over 2021. Between Friday, May 27th and Sunday, May 30th, 7,773 entrances were counted. Last year, there were over 12,000. Why the big drop? Well, many would look to fuel prices as the obvious culprit, keeping fewer people traveling long distances to remote areas like Yellowstone. But there's more to the story. A late-season major snowstorm made travel very challenging. Beartooth Highway, which is usually the last of the seasonally closed roads to open near Yellowstone, was held closed over avalanche concerns with over six feet of snow on the road to be cleared in some areas. This past Memorial Day weekend may not be the best gauge of the coming busy season for Yellowstone. 34,400 vehicles visited Yellowstone in April, which was an increase of 17% over the same month last year. That makes this past April the busiest on record by far at Yellowstone's gates. With pump prices up over 60 cents between the end of April and the end of May, it will be interesting to see what effect fuel had on May visits to Yellowstone when those complete numbers are released. Yellowstone also experienced its first reported bison incident of 2022, recently when a 25-year-old woman from Grove City, Ohio, approached a bison walking near a boardwalk at Black Sand Basin, which is an area just north of Old Faithful. The woman came within 10 feet of the bison, and as wild animals will do, the bison gored her and tossed her 10 feet in the air. Park emergency medical providers responded to the incident and transported her via ambulance to Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center. She suffered a puncture wound and other injuries. Despite several news outlets reporting she had died, a hospital spokesperson said they had no recent patient deaths as a result of those types of injuries. 
Yellowstone reminds visitors again that more people have been injured by bison in the park than any other animal. They are unpredictable and can run three times faster than humans. If you encounter wildlife in any national park, give it space. Stay more than 25 yards away from all large animals and at least 100 yards away from bears and wolves. If need be, turn around and go the other way to avoid interacting with a wild animal in close proximity. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. From remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts, you can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. Visit Campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X. Great Smoky Mountains National Park is seeking help identifying sites of historic homes within the park boundaries. Officials estimate more than 2,400 former home sites are in the park. Only about 70% of those have been identified. Historic records show that the government bought around 1,200 farms between 1920 and 1940 to create Great Smoky Mountains National Park. However, Europeans are believed to have lived in the park as early as 1790, and according to officials, many home sites before the 20th century have not been documented. The park is asking people to contact them with any photos of old home sites, hand-drawn maps, or other identifying documents they might have. We'll link to their contact information in the description for this episode. Wind Cave National Park has joined the growing list of National Park Service sites, moving to a cashless fee collection. Beginning June 15th, payments for cave tours, campground fees, as well as interagency passes at Wind Cave will be by credit and debit card only. Cash and check payments will no longer be accepted. The number of parks moving to a cashless system continues to be sporadic, and we advise going forward to treat every park within the National Park Service as though it were cashless. Many parks say moving to a cashless system allows them to be better stewards of visitor dollars by reducing the cost of collection and managing fees. Dinosaur National Monument and the Utah National Guard have entered into a partnership where the National Guard will perform construction-related training activities in the park through 2025. This construction activity will help address National Park Service maintenance needs and improve the park experience for visitors. The first project is beginning shortly with the Guard executing several construction projects, including the rehabilitation of a historic comfort station in the Split Mountain Campground, rehabilitation of the Rainbow Park Entrance Road, and more. Funds collected at the park, mostly visitor fees, will pay for the material costs of the projects. No construction costs will be incurred, resulting in significant savings for the National Park Service. The Department of the Interior announced earlier this week that it will phase out the sale of single-use plastic products in national parks and other public lands. The announcement comes as the department attempts to slow down its contribution to plastic pollution after producing nearly 80,000 tons of solid waste in 2020. 
The department identifies single-use plastic products as items that can be disposed of immediately after use, like food and beverage containers, bottle straws, cups, cutlery, and disposable plastic bags. A complete ban on the sale of single-use plastic in the over 480 million acres of public lands is set to be complete by 2032. For the second consecutive year, peregrine falcon chicks have been successfully fledged and are learning to fly at Harper's Ferry National Historical Park. Out of four hatchlings, three chicks survived. Volunteers and park staff have spotted the three fledglings soaring around with their parents. This success comes after last year's first peregrine falcon fledgling on Maryland Heights in almost 70 years. Visitors can spot these birds, the fastest in the world, with a pair of binoculars as they drive or stoop to hunt at speeds of up to 240 miles per hour. And speaking of a return from near extinction, the critically endangered California condor returned to the skies of Redwood National Park last month for the first time in more than a century. The two captive bred birds were released as part of a project aimed at restoring the giant vultures to their historic habitat in the Pacific Northwest. According to officials, condors virtually disappeared by the 1970s due to poaching, lead poisoning from eating animals shot by hunters, and destruction of habitat. In all, four condors will have been released near Redwood, one female and three males. The release is part of a captive breeding program that began back in the early 1980s when only 22 total California condors remained. All 22 condors were trapped and brought into the program, which wasn't able to begin releasing the giant vultures into Southern California's Los Padres National Forest until 1992. That flock has been expanding its range while other condors now occupy parts of California's central coast, Arizona, Utah, and Baja California in Mexico. Today, the total population now numbers more than 500 condors in captivity and in the wild, you can learn more about this program and these incredible birds on a past episode of the America's National Parks podcast. We'll link to it in the description. That's it for this month's National Park News. If you're new here, make sure to hit the subscribe button for more. We'll see you next time.